0: first reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 12 to 18 and then from chapter 2 verses 12 to 16. I the teacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly But I learnt that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what, what was already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not long be remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. And the second reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made
1: Thanks, uh, David, for reading. well um, oh, that's a little bit. There we go. All right. Um, as Pete said, we're continuing in our series on Ecclesiastes, uh, and Pete last week introduced us to uh, this rather cynical, it seems at times, rather nihilistic piece of, um, of the Bible that seems to be so accurate and apt for our society, and in the, the broader spread of things, it's often a little bit bizarre that this can even be considered wisdom literature like what is what is wise about just being cynical and uh, nihilistic about everything and yet here we are so let me pray for us as we begin uh, because there is nothing perhaps nothing stranger than giving an academic access to a piece of nihilistic literature and asking them to preach on wisdom Uh, so we're definitely going to need to pray before i start so let me pray Father God, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning, that you would be teaching our hearts, teaching our minds, uh, bringing us more into the light of your Son. Be with us this day. Amen. And so yes, when we were spreading out these passages and trying to figure out who was going to preach on which section, I think someone at St. Jude's uh, thought it would be quite amusing to give uh, the academic uh, on staff... Uh, the role of speaking about wisdom and preaching about wisdom. Uh, perhaps you know, they thought that it, you know, in, in the pursuit of wisdom, pursuit of knowledge, that there might be something there that, that I, can, I can give. I'd have to say, as an academic, that's probably not the case. <laughs> um, because there's an old adage which goes about the, the interaction between knowledge and wisdom. It goes something like this. Knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are fruits. Wisdom, on the other hand, is knowing not to put them in fruit salad. And as I heard recently, an extension to that, which goes along the lines of, and philosophy is wondering whether or not ketchup or Bloody Marys are considered to be a smoothie. There's a lot lot going on in Ecclesiastes, which is about wisdom and about the right application of knowledge, not just the knowledge in and of itself. Uh, the teacher uh, applies his mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. He separates out the study of the things, the, the gaining knowledge of it, from the wisdom of a being able to apply that knowledge uh, to it. And so ultimately what this, uh, what we're going to be looking at this morning is how do we understand the world? How do we take knowledge about the world and see what the meaning of it is, what the ultimate meaning is, not just the knowledge of it. And so we're going to have a look this morning through three sections. We're going to have a look at uh, the teacher's search for meaning, uh, Kehelet. If I refer to Kehelet, that just means the teacher, that's ha- that's just his, Kehelet in Hebrew means teacher, and so lots of people just refer to the teacher as Kehelet, it's just uh, it's nicer than saying teacher, it just, I find it a bit bizarre as someone who is a, a lecturer, if someone came up to me and said, hey lecturer, how are you doing? So I'll refer to him as Kehelet because I think it's a nice name. Uh, so Cahelet, uh, search for meaning and then we'll look at the purpose of wisdom uh, and then finally we're going to reappraise what wisdom is for. And so we, we begin where we left off last week with Pete's uh, sermon, uh, thinking about the teacher who is, he writes, the teacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and he applies his mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. He's, the writer here is um, deliberately channeling uh, the, the figure of Solomon. Uh, He's saying, just like Solomon, and perhaps this was Solomon, uh, the one who is lauded, the one who is uh, universally recognized as one being wise, as one having great wisdom. And so he applies that to the knowledge of life. But he struggles with it. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. What does this all mean? One of the... uh, the great scenes growing up that I, I remember uh, from the radio show and then reading the book and then finally uh, getting to see it in various different adaptations is the famous or infamous, depending on where you stand, uh, scene of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where uh, they have created this, this alien race has created this advanced computer called Deep Thought. A great irony that IBM then goes on to create a computer called Deep Thought, but that's another that very entirely. And... They give it one task, one task to do. What is the task that they give it? Well, they say to the computer, What is the meaning of life? Seven and a half million years later, deep thought dings and comes up with an answer. This is deep thought. Yes, I thought it over quite thoroughly. It's 42. What is the meaning of life? 42. 42. What does that even mean? Is it 42 dolphins, which seem to be a fa- fairly recurring thing in Guides of the Galaxy? Is it that you need to bring with yourself 42 towels? Because you always have to have a towel with you. What is the meaning of 42? It's almost as enigmatic as the Hevel in Ecclesiastes. But it just raises another question, doesn't it? It just peels another layer off the onion. Why 42? What's the meaning of that? Pete referred to to John Green's uh, great musings on uh, why even bother in his nihilistic turn. But this this part of Ecclesiastes is returning to Uh, John Green's kids question, why? What's the meaning of it? If you're going to have a nihilistic turn, what's the meaning of the nihilistic turn that you're going to have? Why, why, why? I I find it vaguely ironic that um, in our culture we've we give all these valedictory speeches and, and usually in universities when you, when you graduate, you pick someone who is uh, well-known and well-respected as an academic to uh, give an inspirational talk about uh, all of the things that you have just learnt in your last you know three to 30 years of ac- academic learning. Um, and, and you're sending people out into the world uh, in order to be better citizens and apply their knowledge well. And so a few years ago... Uh, the University of Western Australia appointed, uh, or asked, this man to come and uh, speak to them, the uh, wonderful intellectual Tim Minchin, uh, best known for uh, comedy musicals uh, and analysis on the meaning of life, apparently. Minchin uh, kind of recognised the irony of this, and so v- right at the start of his, uh, his valedictory speech, uh, he says, I'm not an inspirational speaker, uh, in fact... He has probably less qualifications than anyone uh, to be up there giving a valedictory speech. But he recognised the great irony in getting a cynic to give a speech about meaning. He says to to all of the people who are gathered there, um, if you haven't done an arts degree, you probably don't know how to search for meaning. But that's okay, because he says, and I quote, don't go looking for wisdom and meaning. It's like looking for a poem in a cookbook. You won't find it, it won't work, and you'll bugger up your souffle. What Minchin is saying is that there is no meaning to life. There is no meaning to anything that we do. And I think that's the sort of the feeling that the, the preacher, the, the, that, sorry, the teacher, Kahelet, get, gets from this book. There's just no meaning to it. What is the meaning to anything? But I think here and this is where Ecclesiastes is, speaks so powerfully to our, our current culture is that Minchin is rather countercultural here. The, the teacher here is countercultural, because our culture believes that there is meaning to life, that everything has a meaning, everything has a purpose that whether or not you put your recycling bins out at the, on the right day and you sort your recycling appropriately has a purpose. Whether what ringtone you choose for your phone has a purpose. Is it just the standard old Nokia, which just says I'm boring and I've just got the standard thing? Have you put your phone on silent, which says? I am considerate to all my neighbors because I don't want them to, them to hear all the phone calls I'm getting. Or do you have, uh, say for example, um, as the, the guy who developed uh, custom ringtones ha- has, Van Halen's jump. Dun, 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 dun. Do, What is the purpose of your ringtone is a, actually a massive question. What is the ethics? that lie behind your coffee choices? Do you just get the the standard stuff or do you get the fair trade stuff? Or do we get transparently traded coffee that we can understand where it comes from? All of these these little micro-choices that we have in life point to the fact that we ascribe meaning, we give meaning to everything that we do. We seek to find the meaning behind everything. And I think underlying that is that there's kind of feeling in our culture that says that progress is driven by meaning, which is driven by knowledge. The more knowledge we get, the more meaning that we have, which means the further we'll get in our society. But Kehelat, the teacher here, says, well, that's kind of unfulfilling, isn't it? He says, I've seen all of the things that are done under the sun... All of them are meaningless. All of them are a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. I aspire myself to the understanding of wisdom, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. And I think we feel that tension, don't we? Recently, I had a a big turn in terms of social media, is to try and figure out what what's my relationship to social media. Am I just going to be sitting there flicking through um, feed after feed after feed? And I I was wrestling with this, and um, I was reading through Proverbs, and I came across um, Proverbs twenty six. This this pair of proverbs: Do not answer a fool according to his folly lest you also be like him. That just feels like Twitter all over. And then the next proverb immediately afterwards says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Which again, just sounds like Twitter all over. XKCD, the, the, the wonderfully um, brief comic, sums it up very well when, when it says, this is kind of the feeling that we all get. Are you coming to bed? I can't, this is important. What? What's important? Someone is wrong on the internet. We we struggle with the wisdom of this, don't we? You know, you want you want to be able to be wise and to be to be helping people and, and having progress and, and giving people meaning. And but you type out uh, on, on your little phone keyboard uh, you know what what could be constituted as a small essay and you post it and it's like four screen lengths long on someone's feed and the reply that comes is, ha, no. Or you get some meme in response. We wrestle with what is the point of all of this? What is the point in accumulating knowledge and wisdom? Because Cahelet is right when he says, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. It's essentially something that could be put into a scene of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that you could have, you know, the Avengers, you have Spider-Man, with much power comes great responsibility. Uh, Captain America, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. Or Iron Man. It's a feeling of our age, isn't it? Wisdom helps in some things, But ultimately, it can't s- solve the fundamental problems of life. It can't answer the why question. So what is the purpose of wisdom? What is wisdom there for? Do we just go on without wisdom and just uh, continue in folly? Well, not quite. After uh, uh, the teacher has a brief excursus in looking at at pleasure, which we'll come back to, I think, in a future week, he turns back to wisdom in the middle of chapter 2. I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can a king's successor do than has already been done? Gehela C- isn't quite anti-wisdom, though. He recognizes on the balance of things, weighing things up, is it better to be wise or is it better to be foolish? That wisdom comes out on top. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in the darkness. It is, wisdom is still needed to live the good life he desires. It's needed for human flourishing. It's needed for having the good life that we all desire in this world. Now, notice actually that you know, while we're on the topic of podcasts, uh, John Green's podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed, is quite nihilistic. And on the other hand, we have Andrew Lee, a politician in Canberra, my old local member. He has a podcast where he explores what is the good life. And he explores this from, from the position that actually knowledge can get you somewhere to being a good life. And it does. It helps us how to, to know how to make fruit salad. Well, we don't put tomatoes in it. It helps you, if you're a superhero, to know why not to wear a cape, because they get sucked into jet engines when you're flying alongside them, as according to The Incredibles. It helps you to identify good rhythms to life, how not to overwork, how to not underwork, how to eat, drink, and be merry in good proportions. Wisdom helps us to live a good life. And so the first thing that the teacher concludes, that Kahelet concludes, is that even though in the end it may be folly, wisdom is still important. It's still good to live in a wise fashion in this life. That wisdom, and he writes in Ecclesiastes 7 is like an inheritance is a good thing. But I think this is critical. It cannot be the only thing, and it cannot be the ultimate pursuit. Because as uh, the teacher concludes the entire book in Ecclesiastes 12, he says that wisdom will come to the end of itself. That no matter how many books you write on the topic, it will still end. Einstein, I think, knew this well. He, in, in his later years, he, he was reflecting on what is the purpose of you know, knowledge and, and wisdom. And he, he recognized what would eventually be called the Dunning-Kruger curve or the Dunning-Kruger uh, assessment, which is that the more that we know about things, the more that we realize that there is so much more to know the more that we know, the more that we realize what we don't know about things. There is always more knowledge, always more wisdom to be had, always more to be pursued. Gehelet realizes the same thing when he says, uh, the same fate overtakes both the wise and the foolish. What, do, what is there to be gained by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not long be remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. The benefits of wisdom are ultimately meaningless because there is always more to chase and you can't chase enough before you die. And everyone dies. And in this passage, in this part here, Kellett takes this even more nihilistic turn. He, say, it, he says it's not just meaningless here, but actually evil. A lot of, a lot of our translations uh, want to con- make it consistent and so translate meaningless in verse 15 as, uh, in the same way that they translate uh, Hevel earlier. But this is not just Hevel, this is Ra, this is evil. This is an evil thing that he perceives about the world that everything dies, that death is a great leveller, that when it comes down to the end of things, there's just a casket and a hole in the ground. So what do we do with wisdom? Well, I think just a bit like uh, Deep Thought, that computer from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, It ponders the meaning of life, and it comes to 42. But then it says, well, actually, I think the problem, to be quite honest, is that you've never really actually known what the question was. 42 is the answer to this enigmatic question, what is the meaning of life? But is that actually the question that we should be asking about things? Is the question, what is the meaning of life, or what is the meaning Accurate, And actually I think it betrays a rather anthropocentric view on wisdom. It puts man first, puts humanity first in the place of gaining wisdom. Wisdom is only, in, in this way of viewing things, wisdom is only accurate or is only true if we can appraise it, if we can understand it. It comes back to our own human understanding. Jeremiah reflects that we shouldn't actually boast in wisdom. That is folly to boast in wisdom. That, yeah, so let not the wise boast in their wisdom, the strong boast of their strength, the rich boast of their riches. These are all human centered appraisals of things. So, where does this lead us? Where does this take us? How do we reapprise or reappraise wisdom? How do we prise it out of this nihilistic turn that we inevitably will take? Ultimately, I think actually Kehelet does know what he's talking about. And in the flow of Ecclesiastes, there's actually two voices at play. The majority of Ecclesiastes is written by the teacher, Kehelet. And then you have these little bits right at the start and at the end which seem to be uh, a narrator or a, a compiler who interjects in there. Cahelet does know what he's talking about here, but he's presenting it in such a cynical way that I think our own limited, cynical, nihilistic understanding, we gravitate towards that. It's a bit like uh, the old poem from Emily Dickinson. Uh, He says, tell the truth, tell the whole truth, but tell it slant. She goes on to describe... Uh, the truth, as as if it is light coming through a window, and it by the end of the poem, it is actually you, the the end of the poem rephrases the entire f- the poem itself. It forces you to go back and read it all over again to wonder what the truth actually is. What is the truth that is being told slant? Ecclesiastes ends with the compilers or or the narrators. Uh, instruction which counters the cynicism of and He says in uh, Ecclesiastes 12.13 that we should fear God, keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. This sort of forces us to go back and, and reappraise everything that Cahelet that has said. And so why is wisdom better than folly? Light better than darkness? Well, I think actually that this echoes a broader piece of wisdom in in the Bible, the broader part of wisdom literature. Uh, Ecclesiastes sits alongside Proverbs and Proverbs points to one, uh, to, to the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. And just before there's that summary statement in Proverbs 9 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the knowledge of his Holy One is the beginning of understanding. You have this long Introduction to who wisdom is. Wisdom is the one who is beside God at the beginning, who walks with God, who created all things with God, who's personified in this place of being with God. And so just a few, you know, a few hundred years after after all of this was compiled, we read of another of another example of wisdom. In John 1, the the second passage that was read to us, we read about the logos. In the beginning was the word, the logos. The logos which is, in Greek terms, wisdom. In Greek terms, this is a reflection on who wisdom is. Not just wisdom in the anthropomorphic sense of, of someone, or the anthropocentric sense of someone of something that we can appraise, but the anthropomorphic sense of someone that we can appraise. This is wisdom made flesh, just like in Proverbs 8. Wisdom, the logos, the word, was with God and the word was God. This is a, a poem, a song, praising wisdom in the same way that Proverbs praises wisdom. But it says that not only is wisdom, the logos, the word, something that we can sort of grasp and appreciate over there, but no, it is some someone who has come to us. It is wisdom made flesh for us. It's that wisdom who, in the words of Tim Minchin, created the one meaningless life that we have, who stepped into the one meaningless life that we think we have. But more broadly, as he became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, we see his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see the one who perfects wisdom, who perfects wisdom in this life, Gives light to it. Flourishes in it. Because if we're, as Proverbs encourage us to to praise the Holy One, well then in Jesus we see that although no one has ever seen God, we see Jesus who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. And he makes him known to us. A little bit later in our Bibles, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul reflects on the wisdom that has been brought to us. He reflects on the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of Christ. He writes, uh, The message of the cross, the message of Jesus coming into this world is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us is the power of God, because in it, Uh, God God destroys the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. Uh, he, He frustrates. This is the wisdom made flesh, brought to bear on our life, walking amongst us, ultimately being nailed to a cross for us, to highlight the limitations of our wisdom, to highlight the limitations of our knowledge. And instead, redefines what wisdom is. Wisdom is truly better than folly, in the words of, of, of Kohelet. Because ultimately we get to see here a wisdom that does not die, that is not limited by death and the end of things. But rather, makes foolish the wisdom of the world by rising again. that enters our anthropocentric world, our human-centred world, but completely transcends it and ultimately shows us how to live well. It's interesting, uh, throughout Ecclesiastes, uh, Kehelit reflects that one of the purposes of wisdom is to know how to live well, how to eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Jesus, in John's Gospel, the one who is introduced as wisdom at the start of the book, is pictured at the end of the book, doing the reverse, dying, eat, eating and drinking with his, um, with, with his disciples in the Lord's Supper that we will uh, remember shortly, dying, but then being on a beach, eating, drinking, and being merry with his disciples. He dies so that they can eat, drink, and be merry, and to show others how to do that, how to live well, how to live the good life, how to flourish in life. In him we find true wisdom, not just the wisdom of whether or not to put tomato in a fruit salad but the wisdom that transcends our human understanding. The vision of wisdom that we really should plumb the depths of in ultimate pursuit, in wanting to reach the shore to have breakfast with Jesus on that beach. Because in Jesus we ultimately do have progress, that progress and meaning that we are so seeking for in our world. That more knowledge leads to more wisdom, which leads to progress, is absolutely true because we really do have progress there. We have progress through death to life. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that in Jesus we have found true wisdom. We have found the one who transcends our human understandings of wisdom. I pray that you would be making us truly wise through Jesus. Let us pursue that knowledge that leads through death to life. Amen.